reading for today is from Exodus 15, 1 through 21. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. This is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his host he cast into the sea, and his chosen officers were sunk in the Red Sea. The floods covered them. They went down into the depths like a stone. Your right hand, O Lord, glorious in power. Your right hand, O Lord, shatters the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries. You send out your fury. It consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The floods stood up in a heap. The deeps congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake. I will divide the spoil, my desire shall have its fill of them. I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. You blew with your wind, the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness? Awesome and glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. You have led in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The peoples have heard, they tremble. Pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistia. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. You will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will reign forever and ever. For when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground in the midst of the sea. Then Miriam the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing. And Miriam sang to them, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. I know that's a sizable passage. Yes. Every time a new slide comes up, you're like, oh, we're still going. All right. Thought we're coming to an end, but no. Yeah, I wanted to read that whole song. Um, My name is Josh Prather. For those of you that don't know me, I'm a pastor at Redemption Church. Uh, I work centrally with our nine congregations to help us love those that are picked last in society, the lost of society, or the least of these in society. And I work primarily with pastors. I was at Arcadia for a long time as a pastor and an elder, and then my wife and I since got moving us to a different congregation, so we're there now, but man, to look out in the congregation and see friendly faces, it's good to be back. Um, you know, I actually had some time with Frank last night. I don't know much about hockey. I think I went to a hockey game, honestly, like 25 years ago, but I don't really remember. So last night was kind of my first hockey game, so Frank is kind of like guiding me through the process. So I think we actually have a picture of us. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was over the top. But Frank said, this is how you do it. So that's Frank on the right, me on the left. Yeah, so that gives you a picture of what we went through last night. It was fun, though. A lot of fun to be there. 
Let me go through a few things. Uh, I'm going to go through the outline of my sermon. Main thing I'd like to get across, and then I'll pray we can dive into it. Uh, If you take nothing else away from this message, take this away, is that God calls us to stop and to sing, pause and pray. Turn to your neighbor right now and say stop and sing. Turn back to him and say pause and pray. Yeah, that's right. There we go. So I'm going to start with a bit of the story and the context. Uh, I'm going to go back to the Genesis story and kind of weave our way through that, getting us to the Exodus. If you're new to this series, I kind of want to paint a picture, give some context for that. And then I'll jump into the song. I think the song is broke up into five main sections. The first section being that God is great, regardless of whether or not we're doing great. God is always great. All he does is great. So when we look into the world, sometimes we don't think that things are great, but all God does is great. And that causes us to respond in wonder as his people, not just a people in the world, but a people that actually belong to God. And uh, sometimes life is hard, so we always have to remember these moments of awe and wonder. God calls us to look back at our lives and the lives of God's people and say, you need to remember, I've been faithful. And then uh, I'm going to end by talking about obedience so you know where I'm headed. Okay, let me pray, and then we'll jump into it. God, thank you uh, for this Sunday morning. I just pray, God, that you would just fill me with your spirit, God. I want more of you. God, I want your spirit not only to fill me, I want it to fill this room. God, I want your presence to be palatable, God, that we can actually like taste and see that you are good. God, fill us all with the power of your spirit, because I want people to fall in love with Jesus, and I want them to see you, God, and I recognize in this moment as I pray, I cannot do that. No words of human wisdom can do that, but only demonstration of the power of God. So I submit my words to you, this sermon to you, we belong to you, and all God's people say, amen. Okay, so we were actually made to stop and to sing, to pause and to praise. It's kind of knit into our DNA, and you see that in Genesis 1 and 2. If you go back in the biblical story, Adam has a job to do, and he's naming the animals. He's using the creativity that God has given him. But in this process, God kind of creates a longing because he starts to see that no one is fit for him. So then God causes a deep sleep to fall over Adam. God hijacks one of his ribs creates woman, breathes life into woman, gives her life, and then what is Adam's response? He says, oh, this is nice. No. Awe falls over Adam, right, when he sees, and all of a sudden wonder and amazement at what God has done at the, at the hand of the Lord, what God has done. So what is it? He actually moves into praise in a poem, you know, and this is the first poem of the Bible, flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, You know, that's built into us that we stop and we sing when God does something great. We pause and we praise, but with the fall, there's not much stopping and singing. There's not much pausing and praising, um, especially for God's people in the Exodus because they're in bondage, they're in slavery. There arose a Pharaoh in Egypt that did not know Joseph. You think about our family. Our people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob coming down to Joseph, they were fruitful and they multiplied in Egypt just as God called them to do, but there arose a Pharaoh that didn't remember them. So he actually was fearful of God's people, puts them into slavery, puts them into bondage, but God hears their cries. 
and God comes to them. And if you're new to the series, go back, listen to Frank's messages on all of the different signs and wonders and things that are happening. It's an incredible story, incredible story to read with your kids. But it's just an amazing story. But then Moses comes to Pharaoh and he says, this is going to get really bad. It's going to get really bad if you don't let God's people go so they can worship him. And Pharaoh says, no. He says, okay. So he takes off. And what does God do? He says, if you do not put blood on your doorpost, on top of your door, the firstborn of every single home is going to die. The destroyer is going to come through, and you're not saved by being an Israelite. You're saved by the blood. Whether you're Egyptian, whether you're Israelite, put the blood on your door and you will be saved. But the firstborn die, and there's a cry in Egypt like no one's ever heard. So finally, Pharaoh goes against his word, calls back Moses and says, get out of here. So Moses goes on the long route to get to the Red Sea, and a heart that's already hardened, as you look at the beginning of Exodus, Pharaoh is hardening his heart, but then God kind of like clamps down on his heart, hardens it, and then Pharaoh changes his mind, and he starts to come after God's people. So they're going through the sea, walls of water. You talked about this last week with Frank. Walls of water, already a sign and a wonder. They're coming through, but they see the Egyptians come. Frank talked about this, 600 chariots, an army like no one has ever seen coming down on top of them. And although God puts them into confusion in the midst of the sea, if you read the story, they're still coming at them and they're questioning, they're not trusting. And then all of a sudden, the waters close up on the Egyptians and everybody, this is the jaw drop moment, sign and wonder destroyed. And the only thing they can do in response to God destroying their enemies is stop and sing, pause and praise. Nothing else will do. Sometimes words won't do. And what we have to do is we we conjure up these emotions and we just burst out and sing because God is so great, which leads us to our text. Verse one, if you have your Bible or your phone, go ahead and flip there with me. Verse one, two, three, God is great and we sing to him for who he is. Verse 3, the Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. You know, if you go through Old Testament songs, you will see, I mean, you come to the Psalms, you come to Lamentations, you see some personal reflection, people kind of getting on or getting into what's going on in here. But most of the time, it's absent of self-reflection and the focus is God reflection. It's focusing on who God is, always unchanging. What do we know about God? That never changes, even based upon our personal experience. What never changes about God? Because you come in here on a Sunday, and if you got a friend, you're like, hey man, how you doing? I'm I'm good. Or if you're trying to be vulnerable, hey, how are you? I don't know, man, I'm not doing that good. Or if you're really vulnerable, man, I'm in a I'm in a really bad spot, in a bad place. But what that does is you say it at the door and then you bring it into the chair, and then it dictates the way we worship. But here you see it doesn't change because regardless of if you're good or you're doing great, God is always good. God is always great. And true worship, like we see in this song, actually causes us to reflect on God's unchanging character, who he always is. God is always good. And here he's good because he's a warrior, which for us can be challenging if we're reading this from the top down. Frank's talked about this a little bit and not from the bottom up. Because when you're reading this from the bottom up, God destroying an enemy for a slave is something to be celebrated. You know, when we watch a film and the story's told from the bottom up, it's something that we celebrate and we clap. 
You know, my life now is kids' shows, so if you want to have a deep conversation about Moana or um, Frozen, you know, I can have those conversations with you. That's kind of my life now. So the latest one is uh, The Lion King. So we went to go see The Lion King, you know, so I'm a pastor. I can't help it. I'm always looking for sermon illustrations. I think this is a good one. You know, so we're watching The Lion King, and if you don't know the story, it's Mufasa, who's king of the jungle, Simba, his son, and there's the icky, icky, <laughs> wicked uncle, Scar, and Scar's trying to take over the kingdom. So what does he do? He kills Mufasa, blames it on Simba, Simba gets out of there, eventually comes back into the kingdom, there's a showdown right, between Simba and Scar. They're battling it out. Until finally at the end, Simba reigns as king, but Scar, the hyenas who are actually on Scar's side, surround him, attack Scar, and take him down. And from a four-year-old to, my, to a 35-year-old, no one is mourning the death of Scar. This has been a bad dude the whole film because it's told from the bottom up. It's told from the perspective of Simba, Right? But sometimes we look at a story and we don't have that perspective. We want to look at the perspective of Scar and then we say, well, why did God have to do that? But how can we actually be a people of peace? How can we be a people that love our enemies if we do not believe in a God of justice? If God is not going to be the one who is vengeful, then we have to take the vengeance into our own hands, right? But if we know that God is after our enemies, God fights for us. God fought for the Israelites. Those are our people. They're not just those people, they're our people. God fought for them, God fights for us. God is a warrior, and he stands with us. You know, Miroslav Volf, he's a theologian, has a quote that says, it takes the quietness of a Western suburban home to question God's vengeance, because we're not always in the ickiness of what happens in the world. So sometimes that withdrawal from all of that ugliness can cause us to question God's vengeance. But the Israelites understood because they've been oppressed, they've been beaten, they've been raped, and put in bondage. So God is vengeful and they understood it. I just sat down with a pastor from Cameroon just a few days ago who's literally processing this because there's a genocide happening right now in Cameroon. He was overseeing a few hundred churches in Cameroon and now works on an assembly line in Tempe, but came as a refugee. And he's sitting at the table questioning, and he's really, he's struggling. He's like, should I go back? Should I fight? You know, and this isn't a conversation about whether or not there's not certain times to fight, certain times to pick up arms. But in general, God's people as a whole are a peacemaking people who lay down their lives for their enemy. And he understood that, and he's looking across the table at me, but he's still he's wrestling through it. He's like, oh, man. But he comes to the place where he says, God's going to take care of it, right? God will have vengeance, right? God is a God of justice. And when we look at it from the underclass and we see the story, like Simba, then we start to rest and we say, we want God to fight for us too, because there's battles for all of us. And then verse 4 through 10 All he does is great. Not only is God great, we worship him for who he is, and he's a warrior in this story, but all he does is great. Verse 4, Pharaoh's chariots and his army he hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. So they saw God's control in their deliverance and the destruction of their enemies. They saw You know, sometimes I think we hijack Christianity and we make it an 
internal, otherworldly religion that only has something to do with your mind and your heart. It's only after transforming what goes on internally with you. It's only after what's trying to transform your mind. But we see a God that reigns over the whole creation, and we see a mighty hand in Exodus that is constantly changing the direction of of a people and moving in creation. They saw the, the whole Egyptian army. 600 people were coming at them. God swallows them up, and the bodies were on the shore. This is a historical reality. It happened, and they could come up, and they could see them in front of them. And don't tell me, hey, if something like this happened, I I would just know that God is real. I would be able to trust. You know, if I only had this experience, if God only did something like this for me, then I would know. Let me read you another story. Matthew 28. Frank's referenced this before. Matthew 28, Meanwhile, the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain Jesus had designated. This is after the resurrection. You have a bunch of people that saw a man brutally murdered, crucified on a cross, and put in a tomb. Okay? Three days later, that same dude comes out of the tomb and everybody sees him. And that's why it says the mountain that he designated, and when they saw him, saw Jesus resurrected, they worshipped him, but some doubted. But some doubted. (laughs) So don't tell me, if I only saw Jesus resurrected. No, mm mm-mm. No, 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 that's not how that works. We come to God, and God gives us eyes to see. He's at work in your life. He's at work in your family. He's at work in your work. He's at work in your neighborhood. Do you have eyes to see? God's work in your marriage. God's work in your kids. God gives eyes to see his hand in creation. Our religion, our faith is not withdrawn from creation. It's embedded in God's creation. So we see, they saw, and they saw God's control over the waters. God is constantly proving his control over the waters. You see... And put Moses into the water in a basket. And what does God do? Strategically moves that basket down to Pharaoh's house. You see that God takes the water, he turns it into blood. You see here that God parts the waters, they become walls, and then he uses it as an instrument of destruction to destroy. God has control over the whole creation. Do we see his control? And he delivered them from the destroy or he delivered them and he destroyed their enemies the main theme of this song is destruction over enemies destruction over enemies and i think that's important for us to realize that god fights for us if you're in a bad place if you're in a hard place and you feel like you're in bondage to sin or you don't know jesus and you are in bondage to sin god fights for you we cry out and God destroys our enemies. And this leads us to wonder. Move on with me to verse 11. He says, they sang in wonder. Verse 11 says, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. God does far beyond what we could ask or imagine, and he does it in a way that we could never possibly imagine, so that we trust. 
He doesn't allow you to put the pieces of your life together, and he didn't allow them. Why did God take them around the Philistines? We know now why he did that, but can you imagine? They knew the route where God's trying to take him, and God says, Here, here's the route we're going to go. They're like, what are we doing? This is the stupidest thing in the world. And then they're at the sea, and they see the Egyptian army, even though God has proven himself time and time again to them, as he has to you. Time and time again, God has proven himself, but still they're doubting. Why'd you take us out here? Why are we out here just to die? Right? Far beyond what we could ask or imagine, but never the way that any of us would want to imagine. God is putting your life together if you allow him. He's putting your life together, but you're not going to be able to put the pieces together. That's why we come to him and we trust. That's why we come to him and cry out and say, we need you because we don't understand. And that's what leads to wonder. Because what God does do is he gives us the opportunity to look back into our lives, catch a few glimpses of how he put the pieces together, and then that leads to wonder. Can you look back in your life right now and say, man, I've been able to see how God put things together in my life that I could have never imagined he was painting this picture for me. I could never have imagined what he was doing in my kids, in my family, in this church. I could never have imagined it. And what that does for us, what it should do for us, what it did for them is it leads to wonder. This is what Frank will say. These are the sorts of moments when you say, you're God, I'm not, I guess I'll shut up now. That's what Frank says. You're God, I'm not, I guess I'll just shut up. Yeah, and that's exactly what they did. Because they're complaining, the seas closed, and they're like, hallelujah. They just start to sing. Spontaneous praise. I don't have a word. Yeah, okay, we're not going to have this dialogue anymore. I'm just going to praise. Okay, and then from this praise and wonder leads to the gospel. Because verses 13 through 18, they sang as his people, not just a people. That's what's important to remember. It's not just a people, our people and his people. They belong to him. Verse 13, in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. God redeems these people and brings them out of slavery. Let's think about slavery. They're in bondage. They cannot save themselves, and their whole life needs to be redeemed. Once again, not just their hearts, not just their minds, although yes and yes, but the whole of who they are, their work needs to be redeemed. They're in bondage in the work, their relationships, their family life, their relationships, everything is in shackles. Everything is affected, and God has to liberate the whole of who they are. And it's not just a few people, it's 2.4, here's what historians would say, it's 2.4 million people standing at the edge of the sea, watching 600 chariots come. This is an incredible moment in human history, and it's a shadow. It's a shadow. It's a shadow of Christ. Because full liberation, full freedom can only come through the cross. God doesn't just want to forgive your sins, although he does. God wants to liberate you from bondage. And here's, why, here's where it changes the conversation. Because when you think of yourself only as a sinner, sometimes we come to God, we'll ask him to forgive our sins, and then we'll stand up and say we need to try hard. Man, i got to fight sin. And that's, that's true at some level. That's true at some level. But when you look at yourself as a slave, you have no hope if God doesn't liberate you. 
You see yourself in shackles. They did not have the power to liberate themselves and neither do you. Only the gospel can liberate you and set you free. And not just set free mind and heart, but set your family free, set your work free. You see life different, your neighborhood. Everything changes when God liberates us from slavery to sin. I think about my own life. My whole life was literally constructed. I I didn't know this then. Literally constructed and built around idols, the principalities of darkness, the spiritual forces that are at work in this world. Got a hold of me at a young age and through high school and the beginning of college, my degree, my school, my friends, everything was directed towards American idolatry. If I could only have more, consumerism. Everything is about me, autonomy. These are the idols that grip us in America. So when God saved me, he didn't just have to save my heart. He had to liberate the whole of who I was. I changed schools, I changed majors, I changed friends. My family life became different. I became different. I thought different. I felt different. Everything is liberated when Jesus comes in. You hear me? Jesus has to save the whole of who we are, not just a piece of who we are. This is what he says, Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight of the blind to set liberty those who have been oppressed, to set us free, and not just set a few things free, church, to set our whole lives free in the gospel. Moving on, we are a people that are redeemed, but we are also a people with a mission. Verse 14, the nations will hear and tremble, anguish, will grip the people of Felicia. Our worship, this liberation we experience, this spontaneous praise, stopping, singing, pausing, praising, this is not just for us and our personal experience, although thank God it is. It's not just for the Lord to give to Him. It's for the nations. It's so that everybody knows how great God is. Sometimes I wish churches didn't have walls. Because our praise should be a resounding voice that goes out into the entire neighborhood. Reister hears it. This community complex hears it. Everybody driving by thinks we're nuts. Because you got a bunch of people singing karaoke to them. They don't know what it is, you know? But they're like, what is this? And every, it's a witness to the entire world. It's a witness to this community. That's what praise is made to be. We stand in awe of how wonderful God is. We praise him, he liberates us, and it automatically becomes a witness to the world. We are a people of mission. And you see in the song, they were a people with a hope. Verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established, it's important for us to remember that God wasn't leading them towards the wilderness. They, as you're going to see next week, things don't get better, they get, they get worse, but that's not God's ultimate destination. It's not his ultimate destination for them, it's not his ultimate destination for you. God has a place for you and that place is good. Even if you're in the sh- valley of the shadow of death, 
I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, you comfort me. There's a table prepared, there's still waters, there's green grass. This is the kingdom, this is the destination, this is the hope of God's people. Now you may not be there, I recognize that, but it's also important to remember when we sing that there's an ultimate destination for us. We pray that his kingdom comes and a little bit more of it seeps into our lives and our families, but ultimately we have a hope of something to come. Just like they did, soon wandering in the wilderness, but there's always a hope. God wants good for you. If you belong to Jesus, God has a good path. Even if where you're at right now, you might, you might not be able to see it. And we remember these things. We hold fast to these things. Verses 19 through 21. Remembering what he has done. It says, sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. You know, when you're writing this down back then, uh, space is precious. So you've got to think every word is important. And why would you say the same sentence again? This is how this song opens. This is how this song closes. And why is it that you see like the song, like a second song almost at the end? It's because they sang this song at the sea. It was recorded later. Why did they write it down? Why did they record it? Because they knew generations, us, were part of the family. Generations were coming that needed to remember that God is good. Because there's going to be times in life, they knew then, and we know now, there's going to be times in life when we look at our circumstances and we say, God's not good. God's not great. He hasn't shown himself to me. But then we read this story and say, God's been good to our people. God's been good to our family. And not only that, God's been good to you. Or else you wouldn't be in here. If God wasn't good to you, at least at one point in time, why would you be in church? Right? It's no longer cool to be in church. That's past. So we're here because maybe it's not good right now. Maybe we're looking at life and we say, gosh, life isn't great. I don't know if God is good, but I can remember when he was good to me. And not only do you remember when he was good, you remember the experience of when he was good. You remember when the Spirit touched your life. You remember when you saw the hand of the Lord. Each one of us has our own individual stories, and then we remember God's goodness to our people. Even when things are bad, we remember that God is good, and he is always faithful to his people. And this leads us, lastly, as we remember, it leads us to response and obedience. Because God doesn't set us free to be autonomous, God sets us free as slaves so that we can become slaves to him. He redeems us to be slaves to the Redeemer. And there's good news about that is that he's the King of Kings. He's the Lord of Lords. He's always good. And he laid down his life for you. And he loves you more than you could ever imagine. So we willingly come into bondage and submit to him. And then he says, follow me. Follow me and obey me. And this is what we do in obedience. We sing. I just want to go through the structure of the song again, but just talk about it from our perspective as we're thinking about worshiping and responding to God. We remember, we say it with me, we stop. 
All right, come on, we're working on it. No, okay. When, when I say it, you're going to say back, all right? We stop and we sing. That's right. And how does our song look? Well, we start with, we sing how great God is, because sometimes our circumstances don't dictate that. Sometimes life isn't great, but God is always great. We sing how great God is. Secondly, we sing of the great things he has done. Ask God to open your eyes. If you can't see his hand right now, ask him to open your eyes so you can see his hand in the world and in your life. We sing in wonder and in awe because God is knitting together our lives in a way that we could never have possibly imagined, but it's far better than we could have ever imagined. And we sing because sometimes we stand and say, God, I can't even imagine what you've done in my life. I stand in awe and in wonder of how great you are. Fourthly, we sing as his people, a redeemed people that belong to him. You are his possession and he fights for you. And if you're in a battle right now, cry out. Don't fight that battle. Let him fight the battle. Let him fight the battle. Cry out. We are his people. And lastly, we sing and remember what he has done. You know, sometimes... You might be in a place right now in life. Life is hard. I know. I know life is hard. If you don't know me, trust me, I know life, life can be hard. But we hold to remember what God has done in our lives and in the lives of our people. He is faithful. Pray with me. God, you are good. Far better than we could imagine and you do exceedingly and abundantly far more than we could ask or imagine. And God, I'm grateful. I would mess, if I could imagine the way that you're knitting my life together, if I was able to do it, God, then I would mess it up. But you're good to shield us from knowing how you're working in our lives. Father, I pray that we would sing when we're in the car, when we're at home and our kids are driving us nuts, God, whatever it may be, may we pause and praise. May we stop and sing because you are always good. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see your hand at work in our work, at work in our families, at work in our neighborhood. God, give us eyes to see. Our lives belong to Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.